Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Utopia Podcast, formerly known as Nonprofit U. Our podcast is an extension of our community, and we provide a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host. I'm the founder of Nonprofit Utopia, the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders. I work with nonprofit organizations to help them make a stronger impact to their clients and communities. You can find out more about us on nonprofitutopia.com, Facebook, and Twitter. I encourage you to follow us and to comment early and often. And today we're using the hashtags Nonprofit Utopia, In Urban Strategies, and Food Entrepreneurs. You can also leave comments on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Nonprofit Utopia. The chat room is open, and you can post comments and questions. In order to use the chat room, all you need to do is click on to the little icon right beneath the chat room, and you can join us. You can start posting right now, as a matter of fact. And if you have any questions that you don't feel comfortable calling in about or you need to email, you can email me at ValerieFLeonard at nonprofitutopia.com. Obviously, I can't get back to you while we're talking, but I will make every effort to get back to you just as soon as possible. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about the 30-minute mark or so. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. We encourage you to sign up for our mailing list to keep abreast of the latest developments with the Nonprofit Utopia community. In fact, we have a link to our mailing list right there in the comment section on this episode page. So just click on there and you'll be prompted to sign. So when Shelby Parchman, who was the founder of In Urban Strategies LLC, started coaching small businesses for a local entrepreneurship program, he noticed that many of the businesses with whom he worked were also in urban food deserts. These are communities with very limited access to grocery stores and fresh fruits and vegetables. Shelby also noticed that the multi-billion dollar local food, I'm sorry, good food industry is expanding rapidly and Chicago's neighborhoods are uniquely positioned to capitalize. What would happen if he narrowed his focus to food entrepreneurs serving Chicago's south and west sides? Well, if you tune in, you're about to find out. Some wonderful things are happening. So I want to tell you a little bit about today's guest. Again, this is Shelby Parchman. He is the managing partner of In Urban Strategies, LLC. Shelby is a seasoned entrepreneur who has parlayed his experience into a career focused on assisting startup and existing businesses. After getting a dual degree in biology and chemistry, and these are both bachelor of science degrees, and then a master's in analytical chemistry, Shelby embarked upon a professional career as a research scientist in the pharmaceutical industry. Shelby is a serial entrepreneur who has started many successful small businesses, including BHK Laboratories, Inc., and the Functional Beverage Group, Inc. Prior to becoming managing partner of Inner Strategies, LLC, Shelby was the managing director of Sunshine Enterprises. 
Shelby is now working with staff of Family Farmed GFA to assist in the development of business growth strategies with current and former GFA fellows, as well as the development of GFA extension programming. And we'll talk a little bit about that toward the latter end of the show. So, Shelby, thank you again for being a guest with us. And you've been with with me since... Uh, well, I've been with your brother since kindergarten, but you've been with with the show since we started <laughs> as yes, nonprofit yes, unit. <laughs> well, and for I me. always learned. Oh, you're quite welcome. I always learn something. And before we get started, I'm going to ask you again to tell us a little bit about In Urban Strategies LLC and how you came to start it. Okay, sure. Um, and I'll, I'll keep it quick. Uh, it's a long story, but I certainly can shorten it up a bit. <laughs> but uh, as, okay. as you said earlier, I was the managing director of Sunshine Enterprises, and I did that for about four years. And, you know, it, it, it became a time where, you know, my leadership qualities were probably a little much uh, for the organization that I was with. And so we decided that it was it was a good time. Uh, we had built the program. It was a good time to park company. And so I was like, what will be my next venture? And uh, it was more about relaxing. I had planned on taking a six-month sabbatical, uh, but uh, mm-hmm. people wouldn't let me do that. Uh, they really wanted to work <laughs> with me continuously uh, to for me to help uh, provide well, to provide services to them to help them grow their businesses. And so I just started volunteering, saying, hey, I'll, I'll do this for you, no problem. And then one day somebody said, hey, you know, I feel bad, you know, you're working for free. Could I pay you? And I was like, oh, that sounds like a business opportunity. Uh, <laughs> and so I said, sure, why not? And and so I started off helping small businesses. Uh, and mm-hmm. that was really in Urban's uh, first goal uh, to help develop people who are developing communities and especially around small businesses. But um Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that most people who try to work with small businesses understand is that most small business owners uh, can't afford to pay you what you're worth. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, as a business owner, you have to uh, bring food home too. And so I said, well, I need to change this business model where I can still help small businesses and also be able to feed myself, right? And so what I mm-hmm. ended up doing, I started working with, nonprofit organizations who had grant dollars to help small business owners. And I contracted with them, started contracting with them uh, to provide my expertise and services to their clientele. And so that's really how in urban got started. And, you know, one of the things I always tell business owners is uh, your vision for the business is never really what it turns out, what it will turn out to be. And so uh, mm-hmm. we had to kind of adjust to uh, the environment, and we found a, a, a business model that works really well that we're able to still help small business owners uh, and, you know, run a for-profit business. Okay, that's awesome. And one thing that I noticed, you know, I'm watching you evolve over time, I would say in real time, and you have established a number of niches, and you do a good job of keeping those segmented, but right now I'm observing, you know, significant growth with your business as it relates to good food. And before we go into that, I, I just want to make sure that everybody understands 
what we mean when we say good food, you know, as it relates to procurement with municipalities and, and other large institutions. Sure. Yeah, so the term good food can be used kind of loosely. Uh just really depends on who you're talking to. But if you look at it, it really covers a few items. And one is the source locally because that takes uh, a strain off, you know, the environmental issues and concerns. Number two are looking at the ingredients. Do it have more natural or organic ingredients? Uh, the the less that you're using chemicals and, you know, pesticides and fertilizers and things like that, the better off. Uh, does it actually serve, does it have health benefits? Uh, so mm-hmm. is it reduced sodium? Is it, you know, it, you know there are a lot of foods now that are gluten-free. Uh, some people are into vegan or dairy-free. So you can find many categories there. And, and even some, you know, you don't have to be totally, you know, great food, but even considering like the work that we do on the West and South sides, it's really about transitioning people from uh, the old way of thinking and eating where you have a lot of high carbs and high sodium foods to understanding uh, that you can, and high fat as well, but understanding that mm-hmm. food can taste good and you can still eat a lot of the things that you have been eating. So uh, so it really is, you know, everybody has their idea of what good food is, but really if we think about so sourcing locally, humane treatment of animals when you're uh, mm-hmm. sourcing meats, those meat proteins, uh, reduced uh, calories, sodium, uh, food that is uh, designed for people who have medical conditions, you know, and, and you know, like I said, there's a lot of other things that can be done there, but uh, really just think about how food is, how people look at food and the attitude towards food, and is it really doing good for the environment, so. Oh, that, that is awesome. That is awesome. And I'm just wondering, do you find that it's necessary to do a lot of education? You know, because I, I know in communities like Lawndale, you know, where we're from, you know, there there aren't any real, you know, national chain grocery stores. People tend to go to gas stations to, to get mm-hmm. their food or they go to a liquor store and get their food. And a lot of this stuff, you know, sweet, sugary drinks, potato chips and stuff with a shelf life of probably over a year and it's going into your body. So mm-hmm. but people seem to have developed a liking for that food over real food. So do you find yourself doing a lot of education around this in order to also sell? Yeah, and so that's where really you start thinking about it. Um, most people think good food means poor taste. And there are so many amazing mm-hmm. things that are coming out of the good food space now where you can replace sodium with uh, with flavor, uh, other flavor enhancers and, and seasonings that you don't have to have as much sodium. Uh, mm-hmm. Many times people are, you know, loading up on sugary uh, substances and you, you can do it with, you know, you can have a great tasting product with half the sugar. Uh, so because there's some other natural sweeteners that you can use that are low calorie or no calories that can mm-hmm. uh, take the place of the sugar. I know I had uh, created a drink when uh, the functional beverage group, one of our drinks, it had half the calories of a uh, your traditional uh, bottle drink, sweetened bottled beverage. It had half the calories, but it was sweeter. And people mm-hmm. love the product. It was they said this is one of the best tasting products we have. And so one of the things is you 
where people are developing good food products, they have to be very aware that consumers are still going to enjoy the want to enjoy the taste and flavors uh, that they mm-hmm. are accustomed to because they're it's almost addictive. And so you have to kind of find ways to step them down and step them off of it. And um, so mm-hmm. it, there's a lot of education that's required in order to do that because uh, the processed foods are also cheaper. And so when you look right. at communities like the south and west side where your income levels are lower, people have a tendency to look at things not only because they are loaded with the the mindless calories, but they also are cheaper. And so uh, and it's hard to make good food, uh, you know, very cheap because as you start going to higher quality ingredients, uh, so of course the price drives up. But it's one of those things where education is very key, where if people understood the damage that was being done to their bodies, uh, they would then see the importance of spending a little more money for it. And it's not necessarily that much more expensive. It's just that people have this perception that it's very expensive to eat well, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that, that's a wonderful segue. So at what point did you notice an opportunity? It seems almost like a perfect storm, you know, for not only to make money, but to make money in good food in, you know, underserved communities on the south and west side. And not to mention yeah, the I, I think, as well. Yeah, so I think, you know, back in my days at Sunshine, we started noticing a lot of food entrepreneurs that were coming through the program. And, um mm-hmm. And most of them were like, well, you know, people in my community aren't eating well, and I want to come up with a product that tastes good, that I can sell to the community, and, you know, it's healthier, it's a healthier option. Because, you know, you do see that a higher higher incidences of diabetes, heart disease, and a lot of it is uh, um, high blood pressure. A lot of it goes back to the foods that we eat. And so uh, we start seeing enough people who say, you know, the only way you can change that is the change comes from within. So as you were saying earlier, you can go to the gas station convenience store and load up all types of sugars and salty products. And, you know, those those are businesses that are built around selling cheap products and selling a lot of them. And so really change always comes internally and from within. And so when you have enough people mm-hmm. saying enough is enough and creating a new movement, uh, a good food movement, then you'll see some changes happening. And I, I do see that. I see a lot more uh, African-Americans are becoming, uh, looking at their diets and, uh, you know, adopting vegan or vegetarian diets or, uh, you know, cutting out some of the fats and carbs and salts out of their diets, which is a great thing. And so, you know, it was a, it was a few years ago that I noticed that the movement was starting to pick up. And right now, I, mm-hmm. I from looking at it, I think there's, you know, some great things happening in the movement. Okay, that's awesome. And we'll talk later in the segment. You know, the government seems to be catching up too, so I think it's going to be even more opportunity. So uh, what do you think are the implications for Chicago's south and west sides? You know, you've already talked about the fact that the market is driving it, but it seems to me too that there may be a natural infrastructure in place for this movement on the south and west side. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So what I, what I can see in a couple of things that I'm seeing, number one is that 
when you start looking at one of these concepts of good food is sourcing and, and, and manufacturing locally, which one of mm-hmm. my clients, and we probably talked about this a little later, Rush University Hospital, we work with one of their initiatives, their intermission initiative, and they're looking for locally sourced products. And, you know, hospitals want good food. Uh, they're not looking mm-hmm. to, if anyone ever ate at a hospital, they know, you know, stuff is pretty bland, but, uh, you know. Except for one hospital that, Shelby, except for one hospital that I won't, except for one hospital that I won't name, <laughs> that their, their food was very salty, and I'm oh, wondering, wow. this is a hospital with, right, with this right, salty right. food? Okay, I, I'm yeah. sorry, I digress. <laughs> no, no, no problem. So a lot of the initiatives are, you know, supplying these organizations with good food products, uh, especially on the catering side. And so there are some huge opportunities that we've been working on uh, for uh, catering opportunities for a lot of the good food businesses. But also there are, mm-hmm. there are manufacturing uh, possibilities, mm-hmm. and those are some of the things that we're working on now is looking at how do we bring some good food manufacturing to the south and west sides of Chicago. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, I think we'll probably talk about this a little later, but even urban farms where we uh, can start growing more produce and sourcing more produce locally. There are a lot of vacant lots in the city that could be transformed into urban farms. And so we see a lot of that happening on Chicago's south and west sides as well. Right, and right. And for those of you... In, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry to just throw right in too that uh, all of these initiatives uh, have been shown to help reduce violence in, in our communities as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that's an added plus. And, and for those yeah. of you who are listening who are not from Chicago, um, Chicago's south and west sides are uh, primarily African-American and Latino, uh, with probably the majority, slight majority, being African-American in many instances, but the Latino um, community in those neighborhoods, well, in those areas are growing faster and will probably overtake the African-American community. Just want to give folks who don't live in uh, Chicago some context. And then also, yeah, and also a number of these neighborhoods have um, undergone significant disinvestment from the heavy industries, the traditional industries, which have moved out to the suburbs or overseas. And, you know, as a result of white flight in the early 60s, so there are a number of vacant lots, as you alluded to. But, you know, there's, you know, this presents lots and lots of opportunity, as you mentioned. Certainly. Okay. So, I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to the Nonprofit Utopia podcast, and we're speaking with Shelby Parchman. Shelby is the founder and managing partner of In Urban Strategies, LLC. We'll be taking questions from our audience and chat room at about the 30-minute mark or so. If you are listening in front of a computer and you can see our episode page, you can start chatting your comments and questions right now. And our call-in number is 347 Four eight one two one, and also before we go back into our conversation, I just want to let folks know that we have noticed that our international audience is growing, and we want our podcast guests to reflect views from around the world. We have already had our first international guest, and we want to make sure that we get more. 
So if you're listening from a country other than the United States and you know of heads of NGOs that we should consider having on the show, please contact us at info at nonprofitutopia.com. All righty, so Shelby, back to you. We have recently, or you, listen to me, we, I, I empathize too much. You have recently had an event, Taste of Inurban, in which local entrepreneurs with whom you have worked have had a chance to show off their products and let us taste them, and I can say they were so good. You had to remind me to, to mind my manners <laughs> when, when I was there. The food, <laughs> the food was so yeah, good. Yeah, you, you I probably, did grab the first plate, right, Valerie? <laughs> I did, I did. <laughs> but it was offered to me. It was offered, but I should have known something was wrong when nobody else was eating. I said, oh, my goodness, he, he had to slap my hand. I'm so embarrassed. But that food oh, was really, okay. really, really good. <laughs> yeah, it was. So I, you I want really to tell us? We had a lot of people talking about it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I, I, um, I decided to do, actually, my, some of the last, uh, a group of food entrepreneurs I was working with through the Good Food Accelerator, uh, working with West and South Side based food businesses. And, you know, it's like, you know, we should all get together one day and, you know, just cook food and, and enjoy it. And I say, well, why don't we just get everybody together? And I, I work with a bunch of other food entrepreneurs, get everybody into a, a one space, and we can invite some guests and have them sample all the good stuff that's going on at, at the, you know, in, in urban strategies and my clients. And, and, you know, I always jokingly tell people I commute to the city every day from Naperville. And so I said one day out of the year I make everybody do the reverse commute just to see what I have to go through <laughs> on a daily basis. So that's what we <laughs> had at my house. And uh, so, yeah, so the uh, um, so the whole premise was let's get together for some networking and show people what's going on in a good food space in, in the city of Chicago. And I invited family, friends, and uh, some people in my network out, and just let's have a good time, enjoy food, and uh, see what happens. And the amazing part was that so many people enjoy food that a lot of my clients end up selling stuff while they were there. And it was mm-hmm. not an event that we wanted people to come and purchase stuff, but people actually enjoyed a lot of the samples so much that they wanted to buy product right away. And there were a lot of great connections made with some of the food entrepreneurs and some of the guests from the uh, from the party. So it turned out to be a great success. Looking forward to having it again next year, but um, we're going to have it a little earlier in the year so we can uh, make it bigger and do it outside in the yard. Uh, we have to squeeze everything in the house this time because the weather just mm-hmm. can cooperate. So. You know what? I, I think if you keep this up, you're going to not have room in your backyard, you know, it's going to have to be in a public <laughs> space because that, yeah, that well, food that, was so, so good. Yeah. We, we have can't a huge keep public that space secret. that we can go to as well. So that hopefully we're, it's so big <laughs> next year that we would have to use the public space. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see that. And you know what? I was really, really impressed. Um, a number of those entrepreneurs, you know, they were able to place their product, you know, with your technical assistance in places like Whole Foods and other grocery stores. So I, yeah. I, I was really, really impressed. So your your experience yeah. as a chemist 
as well as an entrepreneur with experience who you know to to place products prominently has really really helped helped you to be an excellent coach. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, and I'm glad I can bring that experience to the table. I always you know say that as a business owner, you have to have some product differentiation, and I tell people I, mm-hmm. I feel that being having gone through the whole the food and pharmaceutical industry, uh, been working in both, uh, having the experience of putting products on the shelves, and being having a background as a chemist really <laughs> gives them, a, a, you know, something, a, a unique talent that most organizations don't have. So, uh, yeah, but I found that it's been very helpful for my clients, and I see them. I get these wonderful stories almost every week about how they've gotten into new stores or they uh, found new opportunities and things like that. So it's uh, really just a, a blessing to to hear those things and know that I've been a part of it and helping them grow. Mm-hmm. So I was really deeply honored to have been part of the Cook County, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Cook County Commission on Social Innovation. And that was chaired at the time by Cook County Commissioner Jesus Garcia, who is now the congressman, but it was also – co-chaired and still co-chaired by attorney Mark Lane. And when I was there, we worked on the Cook County Good Food Purchasing Policy, and that helped create more opportunities for local producers of good foods, you know, as defined as you you did earlier. And this actually is going to help them compete, you know, for contracts with various Cook County agencies. And there's a similar ordinance for the city of Chicago, but the one in Cook County is even more far-reaching in that it provides um, intentionality around contracting opportunities for minority and women-owned businesses, opportunities for ex-offenders, opportunities for growers who live in communities on the south and west sides. So I'm looking at what you do, looking at who your your clients are, and, and and I'm just wondering, are you working with these businesses to also procure contracts with the city, as well as you know the county, in addition to you know the hospitals and and the grocery stores? Yeah, so that certainly is our, our one of our next steps. We we haven't done that yet, and I tell you, one of the reasons that why we haven't done it is that there is when dealing with the uh, Cook County. And and actually, here and I'll give you a story. Cook County Hospital is actually part of the anchor mission program that we work with Rush. Uh, and so mm-hmm. there's like five five other hospitals that work in this program. Rush University is the only hospital, it's the only one that came out and said, we're so committed to this that we're actually going to pay someone to make this program work. So when they asked the other hospitals like Cook County to step up, University of Illinois, they all stepped back and said, whoa, it's going to cost us money. Well, that means that you're not serious. And so Rush was really serious about it. And so the beauty of it, though, is that working with Rush with these good food entrepreneurs, we're actually developing a model for other institutions and government agencies to be able to use because it's not just introducing the uh, food Mm -hmm. entrepreneur into an opportunity, there are so many things that they have to do in order to get ready for that opportunity. So one of the great things that happened with Rush is we found spaces for a lot of food entrepreneurs there. 
Now, our next step, we're meeting on Thursday with the organization FUDA to bring in even more West Side uh, businesses, food businesses, into not only the rush system, but into FUDA system. Uh, but one of the things that they they came back to us and said is that when we tried it, most of the businesses were not ready. So Rush is the only mm-hmm. institution that said, we're actually going to pay somebody to get them ready because we're serious about it. So now piggybacking on the, awesome. the, the work that we've done with Rush, we actually have developed a program that we can now introduce to food and say, hey, we have it already in fact to go. Whereas most of the institutions mm-hmm. that we have worked with, they're, it's really cool when you say it on paper and it makes a good sound bite. Uh, uh, in a mm-hmm. conference or at a workshop or in the news. <laughs> but when it comes down to actually getting people into these programs and, and getting business, it doesn't happen. And even with Rush, it's been very difficult because you have to change the mindset of everybody in the organization, not just a few mm-hmm. people. But, yeah, it would be it's great to work with uh, the city and the county to do something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That that's always been one of the points that I would raise. You know, you can have, you know, you can have these rules about procurement, but who's going to mm-hmm. help with the capacity? And you know, and the right. attitude is, you should already be ready. But you right. know, I I believe that if people are given an opportunity and also have um, capacity building, they can take advantage of the opportunity and succeed rather than, you know, never, ever being able to make the bar. So thank you for working with folks and getting them ready. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. And I would say okay. if the top things that come to mind, matter of fact, I just, this, mm-hmm. before I uh, started uh, this interview, I had, I was on the phone with Rush. And so the, the, always the big thing, lack of insurance, not working in the commercial mm-hmm. kitchen, and not having not having the staff to do the job mm. if when it comes to catering and not pricing right, and so those four things get in the way, and there are really no programs out there that's so highly focused on getting entrepreneurs, especially food entrepreneurs like that, ready for the market, you know, ready mm-hmm. for those procurement opportunities. And so we we've been doing that. Okay, awesome. And I know this is probably premature. I expected to ask you this at the end, but you gave me a good segue. I know one of your ventures is a commercial kitchen. Are you using that commercial kitchen also to help um, food entrepreneurs get ready? Or is that yes. you know, simply no, actually, a private? That, that, is that was the main reason why I developed uh started the development of this, this shared commercial kitchen was because I mm-hmm. saw that most food businesses were not ready. They didn't have the, mm-hmm. and one of the things that stops you from growing until these larger accounts, the first question is, are you operating out of a shared commercial kitchen? And, you know, unfortunately, most of our caterers that we see out there are actually working from home. Uh, mm-hmm. And you cannot get those type of opportunities. Even if you're packaging a product, you can't do it, a food product, you can't do it from home. Uh, in most instances, you have to do it from a shared a commercial kitchen space. And so that uh, limits the ability of uh, a lot of our south and west side businesses to be able to grow. So uh, my thought process here was to develop a, a business that's more of a social enterprise, that as long as I break even, I'm happy. 
uh, or make a mm-hmm. dollar, I'm even happier. That means I, 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 I made some money off of it, right? Uh, but, right. you know, it was really about a social venture and helping a lot of small food businesses. And fortunately, we were able to get some funding uh, through the Neighborhood Opportunity Fund to make this happen. And uh, so very appreciative to the city for, uh, don't, uh, you know, granting those dollars to help make this venture happen. Okay, great, great. So I know that food vendors, they, they vary in terms of where they are, in terms of supply chain from urban agriculture to processing to delivery and placement on the shelves. Regardless of where they are in that whole continuum, what advice would you give to anyone who wanted to start in the good food industry? Sure. I, you know, um, I, my advice would be, and I, I tell people this all the time, number one, know who your market is. Know who you're targeting. What I find is that most people do not understand who they're targeting. And then number two, uh, make sure that you can monetize whatever idea you have, because that's a, the second biggest one. But usually that, that is really around being able to target who their exact market is. Mm-hmm. And so what I find is mm-hmm. that most people who jump into the good food business, they themselves have a problem and they say, okay, mm-hmm. you know, I have celiac disease and I can't have gluten. So, you know, the whole world needs more gluten-free products. And that's not necessarily the case. But so you have to make sure that, number one, that there's a market for it, not just a generalized market, but more specific mm-hmm. marketplace. And I think that's what people don't do because you can't say, well, just because there are, you know, 10 million gluten-free people, and I don't know what the number is, but <laughs> 10 million people who want gluten-free products that you actually can make a business around it uh, because where you're selling products, there may not be an interest in those type of products. And some people want, say, gluten-free products, but they don't necessarily want them to say gluten-free, <laughs> you know? And then some mm-hmm. gluten-free products are good where, even if you're not gluten-free, you want you would eat them. I mean, I've had some really great gluten-free products, and I don't have to. I don't have a gluten intolerance. So, um, so it's it's one of those things where really understanding where your product fits in the marketplace mm-hmm. and or service, because some people do services, mm-hmm. and that um, just because somebody else is doing it and looks like they're making money doesn't mean that you can do it. Right. 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 Okay, and it looks like we have a caller, and we also have J.P. Paulus in the chat room, and we also have Purple Pill in the chat room. So, Purple Pill, I want to say hello to you, and thank you for your comments. And um, J.P., um, I just want to share with you uh, J.P.'s questions. Um, he okay. says, I kind of, He says, I kind of just jumped in the past few minutes. You know, he had to, <laughs> he's dealing with his kids at home. But how can the community, for example, <laughs> you know from when she speaks, well, that that was a while ago for you, but you, you know from when she speaks. Um, mm-hmm. But how can the community, and he's speaking about at the very grassroots level, neighbors mm-hmm. and organizations such as churches, how can they be of help, especially with your Bronzeville venture? And just so you know, JP is very active in the community, and he he just moved to the Bronzeville area, so he's he's very yeah. keen on providing support. 
Yeah, he told me he was very excited about the kitchen coming. So, um, <laughs> you know, one of the things – one of the things I would say is that, you know, there's when I want this kitchen, this this because we have an event space there too, and so what I really want mm-hmm. to see happen is that it becomes more of a community space where uh, community stakeholders and especially churches are coming together to do a lot more promotion around the good food space uh, because it, when you think about the churches are really a, a great pillar of the African-American community, but also very influential in the African-American community. So I would love to uh, find ways to partner with uh, community stakeholders, including churches, on how we can produce and, and put on programming that promotes healthy eating and, you know, healthier eating and healthier lifestyles uh, in the community. And so, you know, and I'm really open to that. And I, I hope that, uh, you know, those stakeholders start reaching out to us as we uh, start mm-hmm. opening our doors, as we open our doors to come to me with programming. And I'd be more than happy to give the space for a little or nothing for programs that are of benefit to the community. Okay, awesome. Um, JP, have you talk, had a chance to talk to JP outside of our conversation that we're having now? Uh, any we chance? had a message. I think we had a exchange of messages on Facebook. Oh, okay, awesome. Uh, okay, great. I have a feeling that you'll be in touch with him more because he just posted that he really, really wants you to succeed because the kitchen is literally down the alley from him. So he's got a stake <laughs> in your success. You know, not only yeah. as a neighbor, but you know, that's just that's just the way JP is. JP is a member yeah. of the nonprofit Utopia community and he's been very, very mm-hmm. supportive and helpful. So you guys definitely have to connect. Yeah, certainly. Uh I'm sure he'll uh he'll wander in one day and we'll definitely have some great conversations. But uh yeah, we all wanted to succeed. I, and I, in talking to a lot of community people a lot of businesses, I have a long list of businesses who are interested in using the space. Um, and one of the things that I decided to do with the space is to make it the event part of it a bit more upscale uh, than mm-hmm. one would expect. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. The uh, contractor told me that the toilets are $4,000 a piece. <laughs> and he's like, are you sure you want those toilets? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So, I mean, our community deserves, our, our community deserves you know, some really good toilets. You know, we've been crapped on enough, right? And, uh, <laughs> I know. But, you know, it's, <laughs> I love it. Right? And so it's just one of those things yeah. where, you know, if it's done right, it can be an anchor in the community. And so, and I looked mm-hmm. at it and said, our community deserves something that's upscale and a place that they can come to. And, you know, it's promoting businesses. We're going to do pop-up restaurants. So we're bringing in a variety of chefs to, uh, to cook different types of foods and introduce new foods to the community. And that can be on a rotating basis, so it doesn't have to be the same thing all the time. So being able to bring in a variety. Um, so And even I want to headquarters uh, a few companies that are doing Uber Eats so we can have other food options in the community where we don't have to order from, you know, the north side to get some decent food. So. Okay, awesome. And I was just thinking about, 
an event that I'd like to have, um, you know, for the next year to kind of roll out my vision for 2020. I think you and I mm-hmm. should talk, if you don't mind. We could maybe sure. make that a joint effort. Um, I'm, I didn't sure. realize you had an event space. <laughs> I was like, yeah, where am I going to have it? Where am I going to have it? Yeah. Okay, awesome. Okay, well, we'll talk about that. We've got two callers. So before we get into our conversation, I want to see if these callers have any comments. So the first caller, your number is 630-926-4098. I'm going to make your mic live. And if you have any questions or comments, please uh, feel free to share. Okay, so your your mic is live. Did you have any comments or questions? Hi, uh, this is Neelish Patel. Uh, I attended a couple Hi. of your uh, events in the past. How are you? <laughs> Sorry, I joined a little late. Uh, I was busy with my conference call earlier. Uh, so I heard uh, Shelby saying that... Uh, that you guys are inviting or looking for someone to cook or inspire people to to eat healthy and uh, I'm 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 an advocate of healthy diet healthy thinking and I also live uh, uh, you know do meditation yoga and all sorts of other things to keep myself healthier so uh, if you need any type of help as far far as like not just the food aspect of things but like you said bringing good in the communities just to bring awareness on how other ways that we can inspire other to be healthier, not just food, but also lifestyle. So if you have any, if you, if you need additional assistant or someone to give a talk to talk about the healthier lifestyle and the practices or the choices we can make and yet combine that with food because food is one thing, but lifestyle is also has to be healthier. I, well, I agree with you. I, I uh, matter of fact, that's one of the, you know, and when we really think about it, um, that's really how we want to develop our programming because it's not just, you know, healthy eating is one component of a of so many other things that you need to do to uh, keep yourself, you know, to really live a good life. And um, but exercise, meditation. All those things are uh, really important, and that's those are the type of things I was talking about when I want community stakeholders to come in and develop programming around it because mm-hmm. it's it's much more than eating. Uh, usually, you can attract people with food, but you really have to give them a, a you know smorgasbord, you know, no pun intended, of other services <laughs> and and options to uh, be you know for a totally completely healthy lifestyle, and uh, so that's really important. And I will say, if you could, uh, just send an email to bronzevillekitchens at gmail.com, and I'll have your contact information, so I'd love to speak with you about that sometime in the future. Sure, sure. So it's it's on your website, Urban Strategies. Is that the one? Or you can connect me through in Urban Strategies as well. Um, okay, okay. I, I just, mm-hmm. for phone purposes, I figure it all comes to the, my uh, Outlook inbox, but uh, it's just easier to say Bronzeville Kitchens at gmail dot com on the phone. Okay. <laughs> so, well, either way, it's fine. Okay, mm-hmm. no problem. I'll reach out to you. again. My first name is Neelish. My last name is Patel. So, if you do receive my email, just know it's it's mine. Yeah. Yep. And uh, do definitely let me know because, like you said, you know, church is an influential 
foundation for us to bring some healthy awareness in our community. Mm-hmm. Temple is mm-hmm. another place that we t- try to talk about these things also, uh, because a lot of the elder generation tend to just not have a lot of this insight. So we try to educate them and the best way we know how uh, educationally and, and try to motivate them and inspire them to eat healthy, live healthy and yep. and think healthy. So. Yep, but I I'll agree. definitely uh, keep in touch with you, okay? I'll greatly appreciate oh, it. Oh, that is awesome. Thank you. And, and thank you for calling in. Thank you so much. Okay, Shelby, um, at the rate we're going, it looks like we might not get through all of our questions before the end of the show, which typically is at 3. And I know you're a busy guy. Do you have a hard stop at 3, or do we try to get through all the questions? No. Okay. I'm good until about All right, four so, Okay. <laughs> like, oh, I, I promise you we won't, <laughs> we won't go that long. And I promise everybody who's listening that we won't go that long. But I'm enjoying the conversation. And, Neelish, I'm so glad that you called in and you've, you've given me some ideas as well. And, and I thank you so much um, for allowing me to keep in touch with you since we met at a meetup a couple months ago. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, there is another caller. Um, your number is 773-766-4448. I'm going to make your mic live, and if you have any questions or comments, please uh, feel free to share. Good afternoon, Okay, Sally. so you're live now. Okay. Yes. This is Leslie Page Piper, and I want to thank hey, you Leslie. so much for facilitating this presentation. And Shelby, so nice of you to do this presentation. Um, worked for a number of years in Cook County City, uh, a community government, um, but I've always been coming more now to a holistic way of living. My question is this. It seems to be now that this becoming a resurgence of the mainstream recognition that the dandelion uh, uh, plant that, that grows uh, wildly has a lot of benefits mm-hmm. in terms of cleansing the liver. And I'm wondering if this is also something also to be available to people to get along with some indications of what the benefit is. Um, because not everybody has a backyard in which they can grow like I had it. And I had plenty of them, but I just was in such a rush of other things I, I, I didn't do it, so I was unable to harvest them. But it would be good to see if there would be those that would incorporate that into cooking. And if, in fact, because you have a biological background as a biologist, would you, how do you weigh in in terms of something like that being added as a, a featured product into um, uh, the sale of food? I'm a, a Qigong practitioner in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the workout in terms of health benefits, and I think get acupuncture once or twice a month. So I'm really falling in line on this. But I just wanted to know how you're feeling about the inclusion of these types of plants. Also, they grow wildly, but not everybody has access to them. Uh, and maybe okay. possibly that can be sold in addition and some ideas on how to prepare it. Yeah, so okay. um, so one of the things I would say, and this is a really good question, especially coming from a guy who worked in the pharmaceutical industry, who uh, created all types of synthetic medications and things, uh, and even um, in some of the uh, for the chicken industry, creating some chemicals that would help chickens grow. That uh, mm-hmm. I, I now segued into the good food industry, 
where it's totally okay. different. And so, mm-hmm. so my answer to you That's would be number light. one, <laughs> right? Well, when I saw how uh, chickens were produced, I said I would never eat <laughs> right. chicken again. Um, so mm-hmm. one of the things that I and I, I saw some of those same things that you're talking about. And so, first of all, uh, then any product that we consider a weed gets a bad rap, right? Uh, yeah. Because yeah. we've been taught mm-hmm. that weeds are bad, but actually weeds are yeah. those plants that grow best in in this environment, mm-hmm. right? Because we can't get rid yeah. of them; we have to mm-hmm. use chemicals to kill them. So mm-hmm. that means that they're they're not really weeds; they're native plants. And when you yeah. think about mm-hmm. it, uh, before we start making more food synthetically and having all these, you know, different uh, food manufacturing facilities that people live off of those native plants and they live much healthier lifestyle. So yeah. it's almost just as well as when you start talking about how did we get more African-Americans off high sugar, high fat, mm-hmm. you know, high sodium mm-hmm. diets because we've been so accustomed yeah. to it. So it's really about mm-hmm. edu- re-educating consumers and saying, you know, just because it's called a weed doesn't mean it's bad for you, right? Uh, just because right. people mm-hmm. want to kill it in their grass doesn't mean it's bad for you. It just means yeah. that there is this perception that people don't want it in their grass. So, uh, so really, what it takes is, you know, somebody creating a movement and, like you said, creating mm-hmm. recipes, using mm-hmm. those types of products, and then mm-hmm. because you'd be amazed at. And here's why I tell people the secret to pharmaceutical industry is how they come up with new mm-hmm. medications. They actually go out to the oh. a lot of them go out to the jungles and find a mm-hmm. lot of native plants that have small amounts of chemical uh, plants or that have small amounts of medicinal properties in them. And mm-hmm. they say, oh, this works really well for this particular disease. And then you can't grow enough plants to do it, so they figure out how to make it synthetically. But okay. if you but if you are eating something, you know, if you're taking small doses every day, you won't have to take the pill, is is, is my thought, mm-hmm. if you're eating the right thing. Yeah. And if it has those medicinal properties, because most of the the drug compounds that are on the marketplace are, they naturally occur somewhere. And it's just oh, that okay. they're just synthetically made to make them in large volume. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, well, and to make start. and to make large money too, right? Right. <laughs> you yeah. can right. patent that right. stuff. Right. That you you can't patent plants, but you can patent those different compounds, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So well, one thank, thing, thank and I'll so. tell you a, a quick story is that um, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. most people don't realize, but our brain produces this small peptide uh, that can mimic this, the uh, analgesic effects of opioids, you know, so our body wow. does amazing things. Wow. So, so, th- so there's something to that adage, a natural high then, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it really is something to it. Your body can, your body can do is an amazing chemical factory. Uh, and, fit, you know, when you have wow. the right ingredients, it can, it can do some amazing things. Mm-hmm. That's so good to know. I'm going to follow mm-hmm. up on I'm researching that for myself as well, Shelby. Okay, cool. Thank I'm you so much for that. Be able to help. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you, Valerie, again. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Thank All you right. so much, Leslie. Yeah, Leslie okay. is a, a, a founding member of Nonprofit Utopia. You guys, oh, you, you met already. Uh, you, you met at I'm the sure kickoff. Yeah, you're you're in the same picture. You're right next to each other for that nonprofit oh, okay. utopia picture. So, <laughs> so 
So so thank you so much, Leslie, for calling in. And uh, before we get back into our conversation, you know, I just want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to the Nonprofit Utopia podcast. And we're speaking with Shelby Parchman. Shelby is the founder and managing I'm sorry, managing partner with In Urban Strategies LLC. We'll be taking questions right now from our listening audience as well as from our chat room. And while we're waiting, you know, Shelby and I will continue talking. The phone number is 347-884-8121. And before we get back into our interview, I, I just want to let you know a little bit about Nonprofit Utopia. We are the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders, and emerging doesn't necessarily mean you're just starting. You could be also someone who's transitioning into a new role. So we are looking for you. We want to be able to share experiences with you as well as you know with, with others who are part of our membership. And our mission is to provide ongoing professional development and networking opportunities in which ethical leaders can develop their you know, own um, programs as, as well as their own organizations. And our vision is to strengthen the global nonprofit sector by providing training and development opportunities for 50,000 emerging nonprofit leaders throughout the world by 2033. So we've got a long way, but we believe in those big, big hairy goals. So at any rate, Shelby, back to you. Um, we know that you're working with a new initiative in Chicago. It's called Cultivate Chicago. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, this is one that we've been uh, working with the uh, City of Chicago Department of Planning and Development on um, for a few months now in terms of just trying to get it all uh, together and, and understanding what the mission was. But now we're in full swing. Now we just uh, kicked off last month. And it's really about bringing urban agriculture into the City of Chicago. And I mentioned that a little earlier. Uh, there are a lot of vacant lots in the City of Chicago. And so the city, uh, through a grant with the uh, sorry, the USDA, uh, U.S. Department of Ag Agriculture, uh, they received a grant to develop out urban farms and uh, help people create businesses around urban farming. So the uh, city of Chicago tapped our organization along with one of our partner organizations, uh, Together Chicago, uh, to develop out this whole new program of urban farming for the city of Chicago and really to make it um, more of a, a formalized pro program as opposed to people just doing stuff willy-nilly all over the city, right? And so part of our the work that we're going to do is uh, providing uh, training, technical assistance and training to urban farmers to help them understand the business side of urban farming and how to make money off urban farming. And this could include in, uh, creating, helping them create value-added products or looking at what types of crops to grow that would have a, you know, there's a need in the marketplace, and also connecting those urban farmers with local uh, initiatives. Like, once again, uh, one of our clients, Rush University Hospital, now wants to source produce from West Side urban farmers. So uh, just really bringing this whole uh, ecosystem of urban farms together, urban agriculture together, to help people make a business out of it. 
And part of the work that we're doing, too, is more surveying uh, and data collection to give all the community stakeholders a access to a lot of urban farm data. So, you know, one side is a very cool, exciting part of, you know, helping people start businesses, and the other is the more, more mundane but just as important side is creating a database for urban farmers and uh, community stakeholders. And we're still trying to figure out what that database is going to look like. But certainly, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things where a lot of urban farmers and other stakeholders uh, would have access to uh, growth data, growth plans, and things around urban farming and other resources. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That is awesome. That is awesome. So you also work with family farms. Is that in the – okay, so – and. You guys have a Good Food Accelerator, and that's based in 1871. Yes. Is that somehow mm-hmm. related to this, and, and you're developing, you know, total vertical integration, you know, where you're working with the urban farms and then ultimately the manufacturers and processors, or those are a little bit separate? Yeah. No, that's actually, you know, it's always kind of tied in. Uh, the crazy part about mm-hmm. family farm names can be a little deceiving that you the organization has very little to do with farming now, but they do some farmer training out in, you know, the, all over the country. But a lot of it now is focused on uh, the good food movement, uh, including okay. one good food is, is good medicine. But yeah, there are some uh, there there are some overlaps in terms of all the work that we're doing, which is really cool because uh, it helps us tie the pieces together a lot easier. Plus, also it gives mm-hmm. uh, the ability for us connect people into a larger network where they wouldn't have that ability to get connected to. So, uh, so yeah, mm-hmm. there certainly wasn't intentional. <laughs> uh, I, you know, mm-hmm. I like to say a lot of things I do are very intentional, but I usually just fall into stuff and figure out how to make it happen or uh, it just happens. Mm-hmm. And so this is one of those uh, instances where, you know, things not being so intentional, but it was a perfect, it all worked out well. Even the work that we do at mm-hmm. Rush University Hospital, you'd say, well, what does that what have to do with urban farming? But they do farmer's markets. They're trying to source produce locally. Now we have a program mm-hmm. where we have urban farmers looking for procurement opportunities. And so just using that as a base of building this whole urban agriculture, urban agriculture business around the city of Chicago works really well. And so um, I'm glad mm-hmm. the city entrusted that work to us because I think that just with all the connections that we have already established in the city, we can make this a really dynamic program moving forward. Yeah, that is awesome. So you guys also have a good food accelerator. What are some of the Uh services that you guys offer with the accelerator program for good food folks? mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. um, I, I joined uh, work, started working with Family Farm. Uh, matter of fact, they were one of my first clients. As I, uh, well, I call them my first big client uh, when I uh, started mm-hmm. up in Urban Strategies. And that big contract was for twenty five hundred dollars to to develop mm-hmm. out an, a concept. Yeah, right. It's like woo to develop out a concept uh, for what would it look like to develop a program to bring good food this Good Food Accelerator idea to local communities in the south and west side. So you, the Good Food Accelerator accepts 
uh, clients who are in the good food business, uh, usually with a CPG, a consumer packaged good, so something that you can package and sell into a grocery store like Whole Foods or Mariano's or something like that. And they were looking, they were looking for people who have products already developed. They're in a few retail establishments, and they're looking to grow and looking mm-hmm. to get investment capital, and that's what the Good Food Accelerator is all about. But at the same time, you're missing a lot of good, um, small, good food businesses who are, uh, you know, just starting to grow on the west side and south side of Chicago. So it's like, how can we reach those entrepreneurs, and how can we design a suite of services that would help them grow their food businesses. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote this proposal and this, this idea of what we call the GFAX now, extension programming, mm-hmm. which will reach out into the, mm-hmm. the communities. And we're fortunate enough to get a lot of funding to do this work, uh, including the mm-hmm. USDA has funded this work. Uh, oh, we brought okay. in a, you know, the Coleman Foundation has uh, is funding the work. And then uh, there are a couple of uh, private individuals who have wrote some pretty sizable checks to help fund this work as well for the next three years. So, uh, and the whole goal of this, and uh, and we work with some this year, is to capture those food businesses uh, on the south and west side of Chicago who have packaged goods, who they want, and they want to expand into a larger mm-hmm. marketplace. And so we mm-hmm. did one cohort. And then one of the graduates from that cohort, uh, actually during that time, her business started growing, and she went into she went from like three or four Whole Foods to now uh, twenty Whole Foods, and now Ooh. she applied the Food Accelerator, the, the the larger accelerator, and she's one of the finalists to get into the accelerator. So, uh, so those are the types of things that we want to see. We want to see ourselves incubating. Uh, business, good food businesses on the south and west side of Chicago mm-hmm. and giving them those opportunities to of networking, uh, of, you know, meeting our, the distributors that we have relationships with, meeting the retailers that mm-hmm. we have relationships with. Uh, because in the accelerator, you're introduced to a lot of the distributors, and usually you can't even get through to them. Uh, but they come in, they look at your products, they give you feedback on your products, and they tell you what it takes to get into their distribution network. Same thing with some of the uh, major retailers. Whole Foods is a big supporter mm-hmm. of the Good Food Accelerator. They have a representative that comes out, and they meet with each individual food uh, entrepreneur and talk about their products and how they can get them into Whole Foods. And so these are connections that a lot of people would not be able to get if it weren't for the Good Food Accelerator. Oh, that is awesome. And you guys... I mean, not only are you focusing on your own relationships, but from what I'm hearing between the lines is you're leveraging the relationships you have with your own organization with those of the city and with those of 1871, which is a a huge um, accelerator here in Chicago that has access to a number of different kinds of entrepreneurs and access to capital and all that stuff. So that's that's really powerful stuff. Yeah. I'm so glad. And I will throw in right quick. Uh, well, I'll just throw in right quick that uh-huh. everybody who's accepted into the Good Food Accelerator gets a free membership into 1871 for the period of time that they're in the accelerator. So that's wow. an added perk. That, that's great because 1871 membership is not cheap. Oh, really? Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I can I can be happy for my free membership as well. There. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. It's it's not cheap when you when you compare it to other accelerators. It's it's not cheap. So so that that's a wonderful wonderful thing, and um, so we we talked about your success as a coach. We talked about your success working with big food people. And we also talked about your work with Rush as it relates to some of the good food stuff. But with Rush, you're also working with other entrepreneurs in other industries, helping them do procurement with with Rush. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, that, that's one of the um, Rush is or rather Rush is doing the procurement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. So these are procurement opportunities at Rush University Hospital, and so um, so the way it was explained to us is they tried this. They tried to localize some of their business to West Side businesses, and for ten years they failed. Uh, and wow. then after finally finally convincing them to pay us to do it, uh, and it, it was twisting some arms, and we had to get some approvals from the VP level in order for this to happen. Uh, but it finally happened, and uh, according to the guy who twist, who was at the uh, VP level who twisted some arms for us as well, said that we were able to accomplish something in six months that they haven't been able to do in 10 years. And it actually wow. moved the needle uh, because they hadn't been able to do so. And so we look for any type of business that is located on the west side of Chicago that can actually – have a, 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 a product or service that Rush University can, can use. Uh, we started off with catering was a big one, and we did a really good job in bringing in catering, but also we brought in a, a IT company that's doing really well at Rush now. Uh, we brought in a pest control company. Uh, we have a bus company doing trans- transportation. We're looking at printing, uh, we're looking at school supplies, you name it. And now we're working on mm. attorneys, uh, accountants, mm. HR professionals, but you name it. Anything that goes on in a hospital, whether it's hospital-related or business-related, uh, we have mm. opportunities, and we can uh, find opportunities for those types of businesses. And um, so, yeah, so this work, we've been doing this for a little over a year now, and um, one of the Tribute to me, I think one of the defining moments was when it was supposed to be a six-month trial. And uh, after six months, they said, well, uh, we're going to renew the contract, but we're basically going to make it open-ended now uh, because we just – Oh, wonderful. And so, uh, that... so yeah, so we, we developed some fiscal year 2020 goals, and we're working on those now. Awesome. Congratulations. Congratulations. And what's interesting, I, I don't know – I. I had a chance to go to a conference that they were holding on the southeast side of Chicago this past weekend, and they were looking at, you know, the, the southeast side as a region, you know, neighborhoods in, say, Bronzeville mm-hmm. all the way down to South Shore. And John Rogers, everybody knows who he is, and, and Valerie yes. Jarrett mm-hmm. were the keynote speakers. And one of the things that he mentioned was, um, he, he noticed that there's actually less diversity in different boardrooms and fewer opportunities for minority entrepreneurs. 
And he underscored the fact that, you know, once we have people who are in those positions, it's their obligation to speak for other minorities and try to make opportunities for other minority-owned businesses or women-owned businesses once they get there and not keep the information to themselves. And then just to hear Mm -hmm. you talk about your journey in your business, it's it's never, ever been all about you, and I think that's part of the, the secret to your success. You've always been able to mentor other businesses and develop leaders, and that has been very, very helpful to you. And, and I thank you for always sharing and always being available to me, even when I do some silly stuff. I, I really, really appreciate. <laughs> I, I appreciate oh, you know, that. And, and so. Valerie, please don't. You know, we always tell people to make yourselves at home in our house, so don't don't feel bad about the food. I mean, I, I've probably done that myself <laughs> at home too. Get slapped for hitting the pot too soon. Uh, but you know, one of the things that we always say is that we're happy that anyone can come to our house and feel that it's feel comfortable that they they make themselves at home and they forget they're at home because that's usually the intention that we have, and so. Uh, but and that's really the, the kind of attitude that I take in all the work that I do is that first and foremost I have I want people to be very comfortable working with me and not feel intimidated by my presence, but know that uh, I'm walking alongside them, and you know I feel that I have just as much stake in the outcome as they do because any business that I work with and if it fails I feel that I failed as well. So uh, the desire is to make that business successful because it really, you know, it really is a part of me at that point. So, and most business, mm-hmm. the, comp- the companies I work with, they'll tell you that, you know, first and foremost, they feel that I'm a, I'm more of a friend than anything. I've been invited to weddings and funerals and birthday parties and housewarming parties. And, you know, to me, that's how you establish yourself as a, you know, as, as someone who is a good leader is that you can humble yourself mm-hmm. and, and to to the point where people feel that they're walking alongside you and that not that you're sitting at a desk. And that's one of the things I always tell people. Um, I don't sit at a desk and, and talk to people uh, because then it seems like, you know, I'm sitting on my throne and then I'm, you know, pontificating. But usually when I work with small mm-hmm. business owners, I like to meet them at their place of business and let them sit behind the desk and tell me what's going on, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is great. That's great. And we're, we're kind of winding down right now. And, and I'm just asking you right now to just summarize, what would you say over the past three to five years has been your impact on the South and West Sides working with businesses in urban areas where people tend to shy away from, you know, in terms of investment, in terms of even consulting opportunities because here to four, you know, people might not necessarily see the urban entrepreneur on the south and west side, and you know, in challenged communities especially, as viable um, places to invest time and energy and resources. Sure, you know, I say, you know, one of them, I would think our greatest claim to fame has been the ability to get people financing for their businesses, uh, and mm-hmm. right now we. We actually have a contract with uh, Summer Corps and Department of Planning and Development to provide uh, technical assistance for lending for the NOF program because a lot of the clients, mm. have, the awardees, 
are having trouble finding, uh, getting access to the capital to complete their projects. But one of the things that we have been very good at doing is finding ways to get people funding for their businesses. And people will come to me mm-hmm. and say, a bank will never give me a, I mean, I've actually had people come to me and say, I went to banks and they wouldn't give me a loan. And I, I said, well, you went to the wrong banks and you went to the wrong people. Let me show you how, let me get your loan. And I mean, I, we've done that particular person ended up getting two loans from two different banks uh, and uh, at very low interest rates. And one of them was able to pay, uh, pay it back early. So, uh, and that's one of the challenges Great. that most people, small businesses have is that they're getting access to capital. And so that's one of the things that we've been working really hard on developing as a business. And uh, we're going to start promoting that a lot more. Uh, and uh, next year in 2020, uh, that's one of our biggest goals is to increase the number of loans that we have uh, been able to get for businesses. But we have been, in terms of financing and also grant dollars, uh, I would say over the last three years, we've averaged over, um, and right now I've been in business two years, but I've worked with some people outside of that. But even the last two years, every year we've been able to help clients secure over a half million dollars in, in grant funding for businesses. And usually, awesome. I think last year we were awesome. probably at $750,000 or, or, or more. I, I just don't remember the number. I know it's greater than seven fifty. And this year we're well over $500,000. But I think by the end of the year we'll probably be at a million dollars. Oh, that that is great. That's cumulatively for for the entire time you've been in business or just for this year? No, so for this year we'll probably do a million. And, and grant. Oh, oh, for, that is for, great. Uh, so, so cumulatively, we're probably closer to three. If uh, I, if would, I did yeah, my right, math, well, you're a better math person than I am. I, I would say about let's say closer to two, about two million dollars over the last two years. But um, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm trying to count the time I'm in business, but. Uh, working before I even started in Urban Strategies uh, was very successful mm-hmm. in helping organizations, including the one that I was working with, to get uh, some fairly large funding. Uh, mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I'm sure, although I'm not with them anymore, I'm sure they're thanking me for some of the groundwork that I laid because their funding is still mm-hmm. very strong. <laughs> Which is good. <laughs> Excellent. You always want to leave a lesson, Excellent. right? <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So when we look at the totality of, of your work just over the three to five years, you know, it goes way beyond that, but just over the three to five years, what would you say are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way in terms of helping out entrepreneurs and even on your own entrepreneurial journey, you know, which has really gone beyond um, the past three years? Yeah. So the first, lesson number one is having partners is a very, very tough thing. Um, you know, it's just, they usually very rarely work out. So one of the things, and mm-hmm. I try not to do that, but and every time I do it, it tends not to work out really well. So the, the, the I think the biggest lesson is to really, you know, if you're going to bring a partner into the business, you have to really understand everybody's role in the business and it has to be clearly mm-hmm. delineated. And even then it's it's going to be a tough time. Uh, so that whole thing about the partnerships, it sounds good to have somebody in the business sharing some of the responsibilities, maybe sharing some of the, <laughs> the you know, the financial burden. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. partnerships are one of the toughest things to do. 
Uh, and mm-hmm. if you do it, uh, even if you have 51% that other person's 49%, they feel that they're 49%. And, it, you know, their voice is just as equal as yours. It's, you know, the vote isn't, but the voice should be, right? And so how do you right. – it's hard to manage a lot of that. Uh, number two, mm-hmm. I think uh, one of the things that most people – and I mentioned this earlier – but they don't understand where their product fits in the marketplace. They normally try Mm -hmm. to design a product and then find a market for it, whereas Mm -hmm. the best way to do it is to find a market and then design a product. And Mm -hmm. some people make up a market, but you have to know that there's a a real demand in that marketplace. So all the new businesses, Mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, I'm in the process of starting a new business, around IT and help desk. And um, only reason I'm doing it is because I, there's a demand, there's a ready and willing customer, and I'm saying if mm-hmm. I can develop this business, I have a sale at the gate, mm-hmm. which most people say, oh, I, awesome. I just see this. The world needs another, you know, shea butter. I know they, the world needs another shea butter. So I'm just going to, you know, there are a million out there, but the world needs a million and one shea butters, right? So they go out and develop a shea butter, and they can't make any money off of it. You know, the T-shirt business, those things are really difficult to make money uh, because there's so many people out there doing it. And so I always tell people, one of the things I've learned and I stress more and more is creating a business around a demand, a real demand, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to creating a business around a perceived demand or your mm-hmm. issue. You know, And I talked about this in the good food space where, you know, if you have an issue – uh, say of you know gluten intolerance, you want to make that the whole world's problem, and it's not. And so, okay. uh, so there's no market, but you want to think of the market because you know people have that issue. And so, really being careful about defining a market and and creating a product that you know can sell into that market. Right. Yeah, a huge difference between need and demand. We may need a lot yeah, of stuff, exactly. but do we? <laughs> yeah. Do we want? Are they willing to pay for it? Are we? Right. That's the yeah. That's the best definition of value, right? Is that value to yeah. people are willing to pay? Alrighty. So I, I think that pretty much covers what we wanted to talk about. But just your parting advice to anyone who wanted to start a food business? And this is probably advice that would be sage for any entrepreneur. And I think you gave a lot of good lessons and advice, you know, in that last question, but any parting advice? Sure. Um, I would tell you, you know, half joking, but half truth. Don't do it. All right. If you just really value all the things that you have in life, Mm -hmm. don't do it. <laughs> uh, but if you, if you insist, after all, you know, consider all that because it's a huge financial commitment. You know, you don't know mm-hmm. if it's going to work out, and chances are it won't work out based on the statistics, right? So everything, right. relationships get ruined, friendships get ruined. So everything that you can think of negative probably gets associated with starting a business. And so it's best just to walk away from it. But if you really think about mm-hmm. it, this is something I really want to do, then you need to look at all those things and and figure out how are you going to overcome that. 
what happens if the business fails? And say, oh, don't be negative. No, no, you have to be. You have to have a contingency right. plan because you don't want to lose all your money in the business fail. I've seen this happen, and now you have no money and no job. So, so those are things that you want to consider, and any good business owner has contingency plans. How are you going to handle this relationship-wise? How do, you know, are you going to spend time away from your family? Will you spend time away from your children? You know, where is the money going to come from? You know, all of these things. Do you need a partner? Where are you going to locate? And if you can answer, sit down and have an answer to most of those questions and ensure that you have a good answer to it, then by all means, give it a try. Uh, but starting a business is one of the most difficult things to do and to do it successfully. So for because, you know, there are all these numbers about the, the rate of small business failure, but I can tell you the ones that are still in business, most of them are failing. They're just not mm-hmm. out of business yet, or they're not making any money. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it takes a lot. When you see somebody actually making money in business, that's a finished product that has been going on maybe for, you know, for years. It's not often that someone just starts a business and money just starts rolling in. So you really have to think mm-hmm. about that. Can I, can I, you know, support myself for the next two to three years trying to, you know, entire earn some money? So, so yeah, it's really just really think long and hard about it and make sure that you've covered every possible thing that can go wrong in those contingencies. And then all those things that you plan for, they won't go wrong. It'll be something new that you never even thought mm-hmm. about. So how? Do, so then how do you adjust to those things? that you don't even know is going to happen. Right. So, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing. Um, but, once again, kudos to those who've tried, uh, because even those who've tried and failed, I'm sure there are some great lessons that were learned, and it made them look at things totally different, and it makes you appreciate a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Shelby, we are – Plum out of questions and out of time, and we we come to the end of our show. And I thank you so much, and for our listening audience, thank you so much for hanging in there. I want to remind you that we're talking to Shelby Parchman. He's the founder and managing partner of I'm sorry, yeah, managing partner of In Urban Strategies LLC. And again, I want to say thank you, Shelby, and you and I are going to be. Talking offline, you gave me a couple of ideas um, that I'd like okay, to talk cool. about. Okay, and then next week, I'm encouraging you to join us. We're going to be talking with Laura Weather. She's the executive director of the Near Northwest Arts Council, and she's going to be joined by Kiela Smith-Upton. She's an independent associate for Legal Shield business solutions and together they're going to be talking about creating space live workspace for artists so until then i i encourage you guys to take care and please share this episode widely there's a lot of lessons that all of us could learn regardless of whether we're in business for profit or non-profit so take care bye-bye take care all right bye-bye thank you Uh Uh-huh.